Do you ever feel like you're trying to get your team motivated, inspired, and engaged to meet and also reach your personal goals or the KPIs of your organization? Staying well while also advancing in your career and maybe even enjoying life? Are you constantly searching for simple, easy to apply and practical techniques to inspire, motivate yourself and your team? But no matter what you do, despite wanting to lead and perform with intention, your habits just take over. So come on, let's get you feeling limitless. Pause, reflect, and learn from handpicked subject matter experts that are thought leaders in their field. Let's explore practical tools to make you and your teams feel limitless at the whiteboard. Hello and welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm your host, Nicole North, and I am joined today by At The Whiteboard's top rated, highest listened to (laughs) podcast episode, uh, speaking as a limitless leader with Gary Brennan. So given that we had such an amazing response to his last uh, visit to the podcast, I had to bring him back. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. I hope I can live up to that one. Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this. I I had such a fun time the last time. So this is me. Like I feel like I'm a kid with a new sled today. So <laughs> thank you for asking me back. I appreciate it. Me too. And I also had a great time. I knew there was something special in that podcast. I remember specifically scheduling it as the season finale because I just, I thought it was powerful and others must have agreed. It's nice to know that. Thank you very, very much. I'm glad that it, I'm glad that it's satisfied. Thank you. (laughs) So uh, if you haven't Uh, If you're listening right now, pause this podcast and go back to listen to Gary's first podcast and then come back and join us for this one. Or you can do either or either way you should listen to Gary because I think he's fabulous. Let's start. Let's tell the let's tell the people who you are and what you do. I'm an actor and have been an actor for the better part of 25 to 27 years. I took a little bit of a break, but in between that time, uh, I developed into a corporate coach where I coach public speaking. And I'm currently a writer. I'm creating my own web series and, and um, auditioning. And, and so I'm out there. And one of the things I do is I, I coach to the very skills that I use as a performer. And uh, I go from there. So that's what I've been doing. I've been doing some writing and all those things, trying to be a boy scout and light my own fire. <laughs> and so what are you helping your clients to do? What are you, what, what's your specialty? What's, what's the reason everyone's got to come and, and call Gary? What I'm learning is many people, most particularly around COVID and as we started out and we're coming on the other side of it, we're doing Zoom and virtual workshops, et cetera, regardless of whether it's a WebEx platform or Zoom, any kind of webinar, a lot of clients were trying to adjust from doing an in, in-person live presentation to actually, what do you do on this box? And how do you get the lighting? And how do you not look up my nose if I've got a laptop and a camera? And what is that green dot? And if I can't see them and like, how do I do this stuff? So an awful lot of clients were trying to acclimate to the change to working more virtually. Now it's where we are where we are, where we're, we're still, now we're venturing out and yet we're still doing what you and I are doing here for the sake of convenience and it's optimum. And now it's a choice to be virtual or it's a choice to be live. 
So initially it was just allowing people to find their voice and being comfortable in a Zoom call, in a virtual webinar, whether that was a presentation, whether that was a keynote address, what have you. So essentially it was technical. The realization was that the work was exactly the same. It doesn't matter per se what medium you're in. It matters that you have a clear message, that you have a, a genuine urgency and conviction about presenting. And that that translates beautifully to this kind of medium. And it translates beautifully as it always had to a live medium when you're at the podium. So a lot of it was just realizing you're fine. Now we're just going to work on the things that you think are getting in your way. And then we can develop from there. Uh, the idea being that whether you're going to be doing a virtual work here as we are, or whether you're going to be on stage, it will be the same because it's a muscular thing that you carry around. So it just becomes the way you communicate. And that is what the realization is becoming. And that's why I, I, I'm able to, that's my way in to help people. That's amazing. You know, it's interesting. I think that as we started into remote work, people didn't give it a lot of weight because we didn't know how long we were going to be doing it for, right? That's it true. was just two weeks, Gary. It was just two weeks that we were supposed to be doing this remote work. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it turned into two years later. And so I'm interested to see, I, I like what you said about now we've kind of worked this muscle. We've learned how to do this. We've got better at it. We've realized that virtual work takes in my opinion, takes a little bit more effort, mm -hmm. a little bit more care, a little bit more, um, what's the word intentionality? You know, if you yeah, and I were meeting sure. a, for a coffee, it would be very natural for us to say, Hey, how was your commute? How did it come in? What are you going to have? Oh, that looks like a good coffee. The conversation flows. But when you pop on to these two cameras that just come live and some, somehow someone is now in your house with you, mm -hmm. so to speak, it's different. And sometimes we forget about those subtle questions or we ask the basic ones like, Hey, how are you? How's your week? How are you doing? And someone goes, good, thanks. Okay. So let's get to the point of the meeting, right? And you lose all the, the personal. I'm curious to see as people move back to the office, do we let the virtual muscle atrophy again? Boy, that's a great question. And you're right. There, I'm hearing a couple of things. First, when you turn on, when you turn on your screen, it's television has always been intimate. It's been a very, very powerful medium because whatever you're watching, you've heard it before, you're letting people into your living room. That's a very, very intimate space. And when you're working in a virtual environment, and not everybody was set up with an office, not everybody was set up with something that seemed to be professional without it being personal. You are on your sofa. There are pictures behind you. You may want to keep your personal life personal and your business life business. And then there's who are you talking to and what are they learning about you, you know, as they start scoping around your living room. So it's a very intrusive and was a very intrusive for some experience. Then there was the technical climb. Do I have the right lighting? Do I have the right microphone? Am I coming off professionally? I'm usually professional in, in person, but right now I'm not really quite grounded in my feet. Then we basically learned how to do that because everybody started teaching everybody how to do that became an expectation. But one of the things that was lost and something that I've learned from a number of people when I facilitate online 
is they miss the opportunity to continue learning or continue connecting and rapport building and relationship building on the way to the lunchroom, down the hallway, on the way to being able to speak anecdotally about anything, genuinely being present with someone, and then going into work. And so there, there seemed to be a way that you could build trust with each other because the relationship was always being built and you switch between rapport building and okay, here we have to, we have to get business-like. And you're absolutely right. You turn on the Zoom thing and the imperative is, oh, this is about the meeting. And so the rapport building feels perfunctory and it, 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 it sits in this place where it's got to be kind of performative and you are accountable to not screwing up. And there's not, there was, there's an artifice that was created because this medium came with all kinds of different performative expectations, which were really not fair. But why, why does that initial rapport building seem so artificial in zoom. I'm, I mean, if I'm honest, it doesn't come off artificial to me. Maybe that's my personality style. I have a extroversion, you know, as part of my preferences, I have a preference for feeling. So I do deeply care about relationships before anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was on a call a few weeks ago and I had asked everyone in the room as we were waiting for the, the leader of the meeting to arrive Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was my client was kind of the boss of the people that were in the meeting. And so mm-hmm. I asked everyone an interesting question, you know, what did you do to rest and rejuvenate? I found that to ask one of the things that I learned in the zoom world and in the online world was I had to ask disruptive questions, questions that didn't sound normal. So I couldn't just say, Hey, how are you? Cause everyone would just be like, good, busy, good. But if I asked really like pointed, strange questions, people startled, and then they would think about it and give me an interesting answer. So how, what did you do to rest and rejuvenate this weekend was my top question. It always got people to go, oh, well, actually I'm running a marathon. So I spent a lot of time training this weekend. And there you got this interesting, we had the rapport building that was missing. Interestingly, so the, the boss comes on the line and kind of comes into the conversation. I was just wrapping up with the last person and he looked so confused and he said, what are we doing here? (laughs) He was truly and honestly flabbergasted that we were (laughs) having this personal conversation. And I just went, oh, well, we're just doing a bit of rapport building. What did you do to rest and rejuvenate? Just not comfortable with that. So why is it so artificial for some? And maybe for me, it seems kind of natural. I wonder if, I don't have a specific answer. I wonder if it's the convention. When you're going to go into a board meeting, there's sort of the, hi, how are you? Yeah, it was a great time we had, you know, that last week in fundraising and, and things. Are, there's a level of being guarded, perhaps, if that happens to be the culture. And you're here really because of the meeting. And so the rapport might feel contrived or the rapport might be underwritten by any kind of agenda. On a Zoom or on a virtual, it almost, it it can, depending on the culture, be this is just a very, very functional medium and we're here to do the thing. And the rapport building is just basically, are you on mute? Are you not on mute? 
if you have a conversation, if you have a question, stick it in the chat box. Uh, I want to know about your engagement. Uh, please don't text. <laughs> don't, if you're going to turn off your camera, don't multitask. There's a whole level of other kind of like rules that become less conducive to just, what did you do to rejuvenate? I think it's a great question that you ask because it it really defines what everybody's level of, of, of engagement and relaxation can be. Meaning we just want you to bring yourself to the party. And so this is a great question that allows you to do that. And well, because if you ask someone, if you ask someone, what did you do this weekend? Unless they're naturally chatty, they're mm -hmm. just going to say, oh, no, not much. Uh, you know, relaxed around the house. But when you ask them what they did to rest and rejuvenate, suddenly you get all these interesting answers. Like I yeah. played the piano for a couple of hours. I am running a marathon. I curled up with a book that I was reading cover to cover and couldn't stop reading. Oh my goodness. What book is it? Please tell us all. Uh, we want to know, you know, I, I found it to be just such an interesting question and not, not to question. toot my own horn. It was just a question that I had, you know, I'm on zoom calls every single day of the week with 25 people. And there's always that awkward period of time as people are logging in that you have to, you know, you don't want to just all be sitting in silence and saying, we're going to wait another five minutes for the other 35 people to join. Well, I think one of your points to that, and you've done this because you facilitated it in person and then on, on Zoom or on, on this kind of platform, when you are in the room and people are going to get the coffee and when people are picking up the Danish and they're coming back to their table and you're kind of walking around and you're checking in, they're also very aware of everyone else around. So everybody's reading each other and saying, am I permitted to do this? Am I permitted to do that? And you, 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 you have that in concert experience with others so that there's an equilibrium, everybody's on the same page. When it's a Zoom thing or a virtual thing, you're isolated. I don't, I may not be able to see everyone. And now the focus is strictly on me as opposed to everyone else wherein I could find some sense of allyship or I can read the room less well because it's just the lens and right now I'm being pinned. So the emphasis is on me. And I think that there's levels of comfort or discomfort, or there's a level of formality that gets integrated. And what's great about you being a facilitator is that you will throw that question out because it's a genuinely nice, good question. And it, gave, it gives by its nature, everyone permission to kind of like relax into the moment and go, all right, this is about, this is, we're permitted to actually share a little bit about ourselves without feeling imposed upon, or I have to give the perfunctory right answer. So uh, it, it's a great question. What an interesting way to phrase that. By asking those types of good rapport building questions, you're giving people permission and comfort to engage in the social activity because some meetings do not have that comfort. Mm -hmm. They may not know. Some meetings or some managers or some leaders might be task focused. And so it's just get, get to your 10 points. When is the project gonna be ready? What are the delays? What are the barriers? Let me get over them. Goodbye, see you next Tuesday, right? Um, that's very fascinating to put it in that framework. So as a leader, to give people permission to be themselves or, bring the whole self to work, as they say, and 
give permission to have rapport. I think this is going to be, it's, it's going to continue to need, going to continue to be a skill that leaders need to develop, especially as now they're starting to manage people in the office and hybrid and simultaneously. So if everyone thinks we're getting off easy by returning to office, no, I think it's actually going to be even harder now. Now mm-hmm. you have to manage the equity of those two groups. How do the online people feel comfortable and safe and not like they've got a whole bunch of FOMO, right? A fear of missing out of the people that are in the office. How do the people in the office not be resentful that Gary's still wearing pajama bottoms, you know, and doesn't have to wear button pants. (laughs) So I'm finding that kind of the new shift now is how do we start to create this equity? And I don't think managers or leaders are going to get off the hook. It's just going to become increasingly difficult to, to manage those groups, not impossible, but challenging. And all the muscles now need to be honed in. You got to be working your in-person muscle and you got to be remembering your remote muscle. And then you've got to try something that you've probably never done before, which is manage both. I think so. And, 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 and to your point, when you are managing two types of sensibilities, the sensibilities that have developed around those who will be still virtual working virtually, if that's an allowable thing, depending on the culture, and those who are going to be coming back into the office so that you don't have two solitudes, you actually have, you have a cohesion. I think leaders are going to have to be pay particular attention to the question, what actually is the culture of what we do? Because you can read the pillars, you can have the core values, and you kind of surf on top of those. And they're they're playing like an app in the background. It's about respect and it's about equity and it's about diversity and it's about everybody being promoted and the whole thing and yada, 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 which are all important. But on, on the way to work, we have to get the metrics. We have to deliver the thing, right? Well, now, you know, COVID has been like the virus that keeps on giving. We're finding out so much more about what is required in our humanity and the adjustments have been unique to everyone, some shared, but some individual. We're all responding differently, trying to find a middle ground and many have and others have not. We've also come across the great resignation. Like, what am I doing in this job and is it fulfilling? Do I want to do this? In 2008, when there was the the recession and people were losing their jobs, there were one or two people that would stay behind in the department and they would take on the job of maybe one and a half people or two. And it seemed that business in some businesses, in some cultures were saying, wow, we've actually been able to lower our our, uh, expense of labor and we're still getting productivity out of people. And there were some people that were getting burned out, but they adjusted and they stayed with the, the, the company because it was secure to do so. COVID has made everybody question, why am I doing this? What's intrinsically important to me? I've been working at home and I found a quality of life that's allowed me to deal with my job once I acclimated myself to the changes virtually that I actually like. I'm moving out of the city. I've got a little bit more room in my house now, and I can find that I am as productive. So leaders have to ask, what is the culture really about? And the sense that the leader really works for the people who make them successful. And so if I want a healthy culture, I have to really ask myself, 
what core values and pillars do we stand on? And how do those get expressed through the work that we do, which is the reason for the company moving ahead? And what's everybody's participation? Inclusion means everybody and everybody's point of view is respected and heard in a safety. And so there, if you got to solitudes, a group working at home, a group slowly integrating back into the office, the culture is incredibly necessary to define and you buy into it where you may have had just a tacit relationship with it in the past. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, that is something that I have been pondering too, is the idea of some leaders aren't going to have any control about this return to office and how they do it and how they necessarily manage that culture, right? Corporately, Mm -hmm. some people are going to be told you're back in X days a week you snooze, you lose, you're in it or you're not like, we don't care. This is what we're doing. And that's going to be uh, interesting for leaders uh, that have a different approach or style or thought on on how to handle that. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Really fascinating. So Gary, what are some of the clients that you are working with now? What What are some of the key topics that you're helping them with? Because I am certain that our listeners will have similar challenges and we should just squeeze Gary for every ounce of information he's willing to give for free, right? Everyone. <laughs> squeeze Happy to help. Out. What okay. do you have? <laughs> what do I have? What is interesting is, or what I'm finding interesting on the way to doing the work that I, what I do is I help people communicate an urgent thought about which they have a real conviction irrespective of what the reason is, whether it it can be in a business reason, it can be a presentation, it can be to uh, shareholders, it could be not for profit. And it's really, when you're giving a presentation, the idea is that in a safe environment, you're empathizing with your audience and you're moving the awareness of your audience from point B when you first met them and they met you to point C. And somewhere in there, there's an, a deepened enlightenment and awareness, and then a call to action. Here's what we're doing. Here's what I know that you face as a challenge. Here's the challenge that we all face together. Here's a suggestion. Who's with me? Let's do something. That's kind of the equation. And you do that in many different ways. And so initially, that is what I work toward. It's what's your relationship with the audience? What do you know about the audience that if you didn't know, you wouldn't be there? And we talked about this in the podcast, as a matter of fact, last bit. What I'm discovering is that in some of my clients, there's an, a level of imposter syndrome where they're wondering whether or not they are they're actually fitting the shoes, if you will, that they've been assigned, that they've been asked to wear. And as I engage with them, they certainly are. The disconnect or the gap seems to be that they feel that maybe they're not, or depending on the kind of industry they're in, whether they're not, they're trying to uh, get venture capitalists or investors to invest in their company, or whether it's a, it's, it's a traditionally, in some cases, male dominated culture. And if the clients uh, I have are executives, females, they're sometimes it's an imposter. And that also happens with men, with men feel that there is an, an image or a, you have to posture or there's something that's quintessentially the thing 
that everybody has to look like and sound like in order to win the confidence of those who are their shareholders or when those who are their audience, that there's some kind of ideal icon that you have to fit. And the reality is there's not. The reality is, is that when you have a convicted point of view, a convicted opinion, and you're there to bestow that opinion on a waiting audience, what you bring to the table, your voice, your stepping into your agency, being who you are, with your experience, your intelligence, your talent, your creativity, all of those things that make you who you are with or without an audience, that's enough. So I'm challenged by the sense that there's, it has to look a different way when you actually perform and that there's a, a degree of, I'm, I'm probably not the one they think I am, but I don't know if I can live up to what they think I'm supposed to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wanted, you know, the facilitator in me, the teacher in me is like, well, let's break down imposter syndrome. What does that, okay. what does that mm -hmm. actually mean for people? And I know for me that if I can describe a kind of feeling I had, I mean, I think now age has just kind of brought it on, but for a long time, I would always look at clients and I would think clients are looking at me saying, here's this young girl trying to tell me how to do something. And that was perpetually in my head that I did not have the experience in order to be advising others on what to do. And that was a common kind of, I almost kind of thought of it as like a record playing in my head. Every time I'd go to a client and something would happen, I would look at someone's expression and go, they think I'm just a girl. Uh, and I don't know whether I just kind of lost a bit of that. I lost the imposter syndrome. Maybe I stopped caring about what other people thought, or maybe I just got old and I could say, well, Nicole, you're no longer, <laughs> you're no longer in your early thirties. So I guess now actually you do have some authority. Mm -hmm. Do I have that right? Is that how you describe imposter syndrome? Like this idea that um, there is something that you feel that you are not living up to and that it is constantly uh, in the back of your mind, kind of playing a tape, making you doubt yourself, making you think that maybe you don't have the skills for this job, or you don't have the uh, personality for this job, or you don't have the age for this job or the certifications for this job. I, yes. And I, I, it's, it's a lot of that. There is somehow what I'm doing has to look like this as if somebody defined this objective icon of everything that we do. I mean, it, it goes back to, you know, don't let them see you sweat. It goes back to, you know, you have to be confident, which, which is a result. You, 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 can't, you can't be confident unless you are, but the steps that you take, if you focus on those, on those steps that you can do, it will read as confident, even though your heart may be beating at the rate of a hamster in your throat. It confidence is something you you that's a result. But you hear all of this, you know. Uh, if you you got to sell yourself, yeah, you, you you I mean, you name it, right? And we all have those loops playing. So there's this menu of stuff that we have to do on the way to the podium, or there's a batch of stuff that we have to do when we plug on to. Uh, when we, when we crank up the Zoom call and boy, I have to hit all of these markers. And there's really no truth to that. You really are all you need. 
there's a perception of what it's supposed to look like. And so I've heard one of my, some clients say, for instance, people end up sounding like each other, or there's a, there's a tacit guardedness in what they do. And I don't want to sound like that, or there's, there's something, and nobody has to, what makes you an individual is the fact that you are an individual. Nobody can be Nicole. There's no one who can. And Nicole is filled with all this rich, fun humanity that we were all born with, that we develop over time when we're not worried about, am I pleasing somebody? You know, am I, I am improving some, am I being approved by someone else? And I get it because you've got to make the sale. The business has got to survive. We, I mean, there are these objective metrics that have to be filled. And the perception is you have to be quintessential in some way Otherwise, all of that will fall and it won't. One of my, yeah. Oh, sorry to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. One of my favorite coaching questions for someone when they are expressing some of these doubts, these uh, feelings, or is this idea of what tells you so? That's a great question. Right. I'm not as good as X manager, Y manager, Z manager, or I'm not leading my team the same way that X, Y, or Z for this and, you know, and it's what tells you so? What mm-hmm. tells you? You know, I know my boss hates me. What tells you so? Mm-hmm. Have they actually said words? I hate you? No, no, no. They just, you know, they just kind of look sideways on the Zoom call. It's like, are they looking at another screen? Maybe, but I'm pretty sure they hate me too, right? And <laughs> I just love that question. What tells you so? And that can be so powerful for people who are feeling that imposter syndrome is what is telling you that that is the quintessential. I mean, when we talk about cultures and organizations, culture can be driving that quintessential image, right? I'm working with a client right now, and we're Hmm. kind of looking at the personality styles of their leadership team and realizing that their leadership team is really deeply clustered into one corner. And you start to wonder, wow, is the organization recruiting people of this style and of this presence because they are all of this presence and that they want more of? Or are the people filling out the psychometric assessments, filling them out with what the organization wants them to be versus what's their natural predisposition, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's been a very fascinating thing, but fundamentally, how do we, how do we fight that imposter syndrome if culturally the organization is feeding that image too? That's a big, deep question, Gary. <laughs> It's like I asked you to solve world peace. Yes, a given example of each. Yes. Here's my here's my thought. If you connect with what you truly know about what you're doing, if you truly connect with why you do what you do, and you actually sit in that, why am I here? What am I really doing? Because I could probably do something else. But what is it that pinched me enough? to make me say, I want to do this in this industry. And I know it's about making money and I know it's about monetizing services and I know it's about all that. Intrinsically, and this goes to what Simon Sinek is about in the golden circle, it's what's my why? What is quintessentially important to me in why I do what I do? Because people buy why you do it, not what you do so far. So if I connect with this is really what I'm about, 
I personally, my why through my work as an actor, through my work as a public speaking coach is to reach people beyond the wall of the convention that they're in to that other part that they also live in, the real humanity, not the external version of who they want people to think they are because they think that's what people need. But you go beyond that into this is who I really am. And it's to connect with that. And you can do that through theater. You can do that through film. You can do that through storytelling. You can do it through public speaking. You can, you can always do that. So that's my why. On the way to doing that, I help people with skills. On the way to doing that, I entertain as an actor at whatever the milieu and the genre is. If you sit in that, why am I doing this? That can't be refuted. That's truth. That's ground zero, if you will. And if you then say, what's the message that I have for this audience? Or what's the message that I have to communicate in my job for the reasons I do it? Then that's, I believe, the antidote to feeling less than. Because you're coming from a place of personal urgency. And if you take that on stage with you, or if you take that into your work, that's the place from which you communicate. Plus, you have the skills. But it's okay, regardless of what people think of you you're leading with something that's more important and essential than the, the, the maybe fictional, to your question, who told you so, noise that you're hearing. So if you, if you sit in that place, it kind of cuts through the other noise. Let me, let me see if I can repeat that back, that brilliance back. Oh. <laughs> let me see if I, if I got it. So one way to balance out or you know, I love the way you phrased it, the antidote to the imposter syndrome that people are feeling is to really sit and understand their why of what they do and why they're there, their passion for that topic, because that content is irrefutable mm -hmm. versus some other uh, refutable content. Like, well, I, I, I know this, or I have these skills. It, it's actually fundamentally, I am a great trainer because I am so passionate about people getting a new message and being better at work. That that's all that matters, right? It doesn't, there's nothing else to refute that message alone stands on its own. Is that, yeah. do I have exactly. that right? That's yeah. pretty magical. I don't know. I mean, no one else could see it, but as you said it, I put my hand on my face and my eyes went to the sky because I couldn't, that's a pretty powerful revelation. It doesn't matter if I have the highest MBA grade point average. It doesn't matter if I have X number of certifications versus this person, that person, or someone else. It, it matters that why I do this is so important to me that that, that is my, my secret sauce, so to speak. It is. And, and that, that therefore covers up the flaws and imperfections and the, the disgusting McDonald's burger. It's all about the sauce, really, at the end of the day. As a turn of phrase, yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. And I love that special sauce, whatever they've got in it. I mean, it works. Who knows? We're not special. eating it. We're not eating it for the burger. It's just for that sauce. It is. Yes. It, it, now, and, and I'm curious about this because you're, you're a trainer. You, you facilitate. What I've learned about when I facilitate, anybody, depending on learning styles, anybody can read the content at home. And the company may say, well, we have to make sure that you read the content 
at home, or we have to make sure that you get the content. So we're going to put you in a room and you get the content. And that way we know that we've exposed you to it and it's your job to act on it in order to, you know, deliver the product. That's basically the equation. What I'm really there to do, me as Gary, a facilitator, what I'm really there to do is to say to Nicole in, 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 in the way that I would behave toward you, it's to make you feel safe, allow that it's okay to go out on the skinny branch and not get it right. And if we do that, you're just going to go step by step and some of the information that you intuit anyway is going to resonate with you. And we're going to slowly build on that and you don't have to get it right. So my job is really not to impart the content, although that's going to happen. My job is to make you feel safe and willing to take an emotional risk vulnerably in front of other people, quite possibly, or just one-on-one. It's really, that's the work so that you can absorb the content and know that it's okay to have a mouthful of marbles on some day or that your brain's like a dog's breakfast because that's what is required in learning. You go through this confusion, but to be okay about being confused and trying to sort it out and then give yourself permission to learn, which is what every leader has done. Nobody comes you know, with all the skills baked in, right? But you come with your humanity baked in So I'm there to just make people feel safe and to listen and to reflect back. And oh, yeah, there's content because there's a step-by-step structure that we'll go through. But that's really the, that's why I'm there. The client may not know that, but that's what I know. Gary, you are so insightful and thoughtful about the way you talk about things. And that must be why you're the top rated podcast on the At The Whiteboard podcast. I just thought I'd bring that in again. I just like watching Gary blush every time I tell him that. Well, I, I think I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a mid good company in that because Nicole North has a kick <laughs> butt branding, you know, open, marvelously facilitated idea here. And, and, and I love your podcast. And, and, and we were on uh, a, a joint podcast together or a meeting, uh, I think a couple of months ago. And just listening to the other participants was so insightful for me. I, it, it was wonderful. So the, the work that you do is inordinately fun and nurturing and, and equally insightful. So I, I, I thank you, but thank you for what you're doing. It's important. Thanks, Gary. Where can people find you? Because I think that what you have tapped in today, what you've tapped into, even with me, and we weren't even talking about me, but I was certainly uh, introspective during the conversation has kind of enlightened me. Everyone deserves that enlightenment. Where can they find you? How can they reach you? Um, And I can just do a quick little plug Gary will be available as an expert uh, facilitator, an expert uh, subject matter, uh, an expert subject matter expert, that's a formal term, on the Whiteboard Learning app, which will be launched soon. But where else can they find you? They can certainly find me, and thank you for asking. They can find me on LinkedIn. My company is Between the Words. You can email me at betweenthewords at garybrennan.com dot ca can certainly get me there uh, on LinkedIn. And I also have a website where all the information is there. It's www.garybrennan.ca. You will see an actor's website there. And in the corner, there's a presentation 
on the toolbar, click on the presentation, and you can also, you can catch me there. And, and if we were searching on, on Netflix or some streaming service, <laughs> where, could, where could we see Gary acting? You would see me very briefly in Molly's Game. <laughs> you might catch me in The Expanse, which is a science fiction, science fantasy uh, television series on Netflix, or it might be on Amazon. And um, if you wanted to go back into, you know, the chronicles of now what has become a classic film, probably The Virgin Suicides way back when, uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, but there's something called Internet Movie Database, IMDB. And if you were to get on that and you were to plug in Gary Brennan, there'd be a couple of us up there. But if you plugged in actor, then you would be able to read some stuff if you were on it. I think I might do that uh, just to get a little more joy of Gary in, in our lives. Everyone needs it. Thank you. That's very sweet Thank of you. you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here today. I know this is going to be uh, an exciting one for folks. I'm so excited to have Gary uh, on the app with us. So you'll be able to access Gary and his uh, solutions, his techniques in uh, you know virtual learning modules, as well as be able to harness uh, some one-on-one -on -one coaching with Gary or facilitation with Gary. I'm so pumped for it. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, I would love you to do me a huge favor right now by supporting this podcast. But you're saying, I'm already listening. Isn't that supporting? I'm so thrilled that you do. If you could do me one quick favor by rating and reviewing this podcast, that will ensure that At The Whiteboard gets into the ear of every leader. In order to do it, locate the At The Whiteboard podcast and make sure you're on the landing page for the podcast listing and not just an individual episode. Scroll down to the bottom until you reach ratings and reviews. Now, before you quickly go click the five stars, which is wonderful, even better is to go leave a review. We love your feedback and thoughts, and we love to continue providing you the value that you're looking for, tips and practical things that you can do to make yourself a limitless leader. Yours limitlessly. Until next time.